Now, today I'm being joined by Nick, not Nikki Bella Suit and Tie Movie Guy. And today we're going to be working with, obviously, uh, one of the movies, if you didn't see last, last week's episode of Suit and Tie Movie Guy, Scream was actually in his top 10. So, um, and we wanted to collaborate that and actually talk about that movie uh, today because it is a horror movie and it, it does go into the horrified genre. And we wanted to put something together on, on the page and, uh, and have you guys see our uh, contributions to it and see what we had to say about it. Yeah, it's actually my number three. Uh, I, I was a huge fan growing up of Scream. I still am. I just watched it a few days ago, even before you told me that we were going to do this. Um, yeah, I don't know if you remember the first time you ever watched it. Absolutely. <laughs> but, absolutely. Uh, my dad, actually, um, a second-generation independent scene professional wrestler, and my dad was trained by Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer's brother, Brett Sawyer, and I was at their house, and his son happened to be watching Scream on pay-per-view, and the end of the movie was on, so I had the unfortunate um, issue of seeing the end of the movie and then seeing the rest of the movie right after that, so I was spoiled as to um, the killer situation and basically everything in the movie, but ever since then, I've been absolutely in love with the movie um in fourth grade i was planning on doing a sequel with some of my friends we got hamburger <laughs> meat uh fake yep. blood i had a retractable knife uh this is probably like the seventh or eighth mask i've had my grandma made me the the ghost face costume and if i may nope oh, wrong pocket if i may check the other pocket this is probably the third one of these that i have owned now what's that this is the voice changer. Uh, obviously, it's pretty well known that the Ghostface uh, voice was voiced by Roger Jackson, not an actual voice changer, but... Roger Jackson, also Mojo Jojo from the Powerpuff Girls. I don't know if you guys know that. You would know that. Stop it. But... Yo, hello. What's the matter, Tony? You look like you've seen a ghost. You know, that sounds pretty, really good. You know, um, I, you know, as... You know, it's blue. I, I was expecting, like, the black one that they, they had in the movie, but, you know. Well, uh, the first couple that I had, I, I had lost them. One broke, but they were white. And oh, they were white. Yeah, and this is the first one that was blue, but it actually works really well for uh, phone phone calls. Um, you know, it was initially was made for when you had landlines, and if you guys see this, there's a, uh, sty like a styrofoam um, ring around it, which would uh, keep the voice that is coming out uh, concealed over the phone, but it doesn't yeah. work really well with cell phones. Uh, I, I've played around it with uh, played around with it with old phones before, and it was actually really really good. But with my new phone, it creates kind of a static buzz, and sometimes you hear your own voice in it. But yeah. all, all in all, it's really fun. I mean, my friends and I have no lives, so <laughs> <laughs> we would quote some of the stuff from all, from the various oh, yeah. movies and and kind of listen to it played back. But that was my earliest memory of Scream. What about you? Well, well, actually, speaking of the speaker box, I, this is, kids, this is before they have the apps. There's no, there was no apps back in 1996. I promise you, I didn't even have a cell phone until 2002. So you know, apps and voice changes, you know, it was pretty much, uh, pretty much, you know, I don't know. But anyway, I was about 11 years old when this first came out, and um, you know, I, they were really, uh, my parents were very, they didn't want me to see this movie, but you know, I snuck. Snuck into it with my with friends and everything, and their older cousin or their older brother, and it really scared the living daylights out of me because I hadn't I had no idea what to expect. Now with you know with the, with the slashers and killers, like I grew up with you know Freddy and Halloween and Jason, so I was okay conditioned for that. But what, what Scream brought to the table when I, when I was Something eleven totally years old, different. 
Absolutely. You know, it's a totally different mindset and, you know, kind of screwed me up as an 11-year-old, but it was pretty fun. Yeah, you know, in the 1980s, the slasher genre was, you know, running rampant. They had, um, you know, all this, the Halloween movies, you know, those started in 1978. 78. Uh, but the sequels were running through the 80s. Uh, you had uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, obviously, another Wes Craven-directed mm-hmm. uh, film. You had... Um, the Friday the 13th, which I believe the first one was in 1980. Yes. And a lot of the sequels went through the 1980s, but by the mid-90s, you know, the the slasher genre was gone. not doing well. No, it was pretty much gone. Yeah, it wasn't doing well at all. And Scream managed to completely uh, bring back the slasher flick. Yeah, and I, like I said, it really did scare me. Like, the different concepts they were introducing into this, like, people didn't think of this stuff. Like, you know, we were just happy to have our own landlines, and now, you know, made people scared to have landlines now because you didn't know what they expected. There was no caller ID. You didn't know who was coming. You didn't know who was calling. So it it really, you know, put a little uh, thought into what was going on. Yeah, and, you know, when when this movie came out, um, you know, these days we have Saw, we have Neighbors, we have, uh, you know, Hostel, and all these extremely graphic movies that are just gore-based. And, you know, this movie, that, that opening scene... Was oh, yeah. terrifying. It was. You know, we've gotten kind of desensitized with some of the movies that have come out over the last, you know, 10, 10 years or so. But at the time, it was truly terrifying to see, wow, this girl has no option. She doesn't has no ability to get out of the situation. You know, you can say all you want that she could have called the cops. But in this particular area that she was in, it's a small town. And, you know, if you don't live in the city, you don't realize how long response times can be for police officers. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I think we really take for granted these days just how amazing that movie and especially that opening scene really was. And I, and I really want to dive in uh, and kind of break down this movie a Absolutely. little bit. Absolutely. Let's um, do it. Obviously, um, you know, it was directed by Wes Craven. It was written by Kevin Williamson. And you, you actually know a little bit of the backstory on how Kevin Williamson came up with the screenplay uh, in the beginning, right? Well, yeah, absolutely. Uh, actually, here in Florida, uh, the Gainesville, uh, was it Killer? Class uh, it was a Gainesville Ripper, I believe. Ripper, Ripper. Um, back in 1990, actually, uh, college students were actually killed in vicious and violent ways, and that was actually the motivation for his uh, his, his screenplay. And it got introduced. Uh, I don't remember who came across it, though, who found the actual screenplay to actually get into it. Well, I, was I, it the Weinsteins? Uh, I'm not sure, but I, I do know that that his first choice to direct was Wes Craven. Mm. And Wes Craven, you know, had had some bad luck with some movies. I, I believe uh, Vampire in Brooklyn was one of them. Oh. And he just wasn't doing a whole lot of horror. And he, he kind of wanted to get away from that. That was all about Eddie Murphy, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, now it's kind of like a cult classic. Yeah, but uh, he, he, uh, Wes Craven was his first choice to direct the movie. And when he first got the screenplay, Wes Craven didn't want to do it. He wasn't interested, and when he found out that Drew Barrymore had been cast at that time as Sidney Prescott, this is before, we'll get into this in a minute, before she uh, decided to uh, change to Casey Becker, he found out that she had been cast as uh, Sidney, and then he had a 12-year-old girl say that, uh, I actually have the quote here, Uh, I might be paraphrasing a little bit, but she says that, she said that his horror had gone soft, so... Mm -hmm. The combination of the two made him uh, decide to take on the film. And personally, I don't know about you guys, but I'm really glad that he did. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it would not It would be a different conversation. I don't think it would be the cult classic as it is now, and it wouldn't revolutionize what we have a genre of a slasher film um, without him. 
No, absolutely not. And, um, you know, it, it really uh, brought back his career as well. You know, he did some good stuff after that and, you know, it spawned a bunch of sequels. But uh, speaking of the opening scene, let's let's dive right in because the opening scene, in my opinion, is hands down probably the best part of the movie. <laughs> Um, you know, as we just talked about, um, Drew Barrymore initially got uh, picked up. I'm sorry, she got signed to be Sydney Prescott, and due to her busy schedule, mm-hmm. she chose to play uh, the, the Casey. O- the opening, yep. Right, and and honestly, I I'm so happy that it worked out that way because she was top billed pretty, for the most part. You know, she was the biggest star of the movie. And spoilers, if you guys haven't seen this movie, I'm going to give you a second to pause. And go watch it. Yeah, go so watch about it. About an hour and come half. back. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely worth watching. Um, but um, no, a lot of you kids out there who were born in '96 probably didn't watch it. No, no, you know, and or '95, '94. We, like, we were so, lucky enough. But yeah. I, I've I've actually introduced the movie to a lot of people. But anyway, get back on track. So <laughs> she switched to Casey Becker, and she at the time was arguably the biggest star of the movie. And to have her killed in the first 12 minutes of the movie was something that I don't think anyone expected. No, absolutely not. We expected her to survive and actually be throughout the movie, and we did not expect her to get stabbed in the chest. No, no. <laughs> At all, or and, gutted. And, and that <laughs> entire scene was amazing. Uh, you know, we talked about Roger Jackson being the voice of Ghostface, um, but one of the things that I found really interesting is that Wes Craven chose not to introduce them to Roger Jackson. Mm-hmm. So he was kept on set in an undisclosed location, and he would actually deliver his lines to the actors over the phone. Um, He'd be on set, though. Right, right. He was on set. You couldn't it, see him at all. Yeah, yeah, it was undisclosed. They wouldn't tell him where he was. They didn't meet him until after filming, and I think that was a great choice because it really um, put the actors in a situation where it was a lot easier, I think, for them to act. Because oh yeah, they oh, yeah. It takes the real like r- it keeps the realism in it because actually you get those fears because like I said nothing was ever done like this before so they were actually able to attach to it a little bit more and give that a natural uh, performance with their acting so if they met the person it would take a little bit away from it but he he wanted to keep it as natural as possible and like I said nothing ever has been done like this before so you know I, I'm glad they made that move yeah I agree and. <laughs> Poor Drew Barrymore. Uh, <laughs> she got dragged, too. Yeah, yeah. They they really beat, they beat her up emotionally and physically. But actually, uh, I was reading something the other day where um, one of the things that Wes Craven would do to help get her into character would, you know, she's a huge animal lover. So he would tell her real-life stories of animal, animal abuse, and that would get her uh, to start crying. Oh, yeah. And then afterwards, he would comfort her. But I think between that... And, uh, you know, Roger Jackson delivering the lines over the phone, I think that really helped Drew get into that character and give us the phenomenal performance. I mean, she was absolutely Oh, amazing. it definitely worked. Definitely worked for me anyway. Um, and, you know, right out, right out of the gate um, with this movie, you immediately see the actors or the characters talking about other movies, you know, bringing up Nightmare on Elm Street mm-hmm. and Halloween and, you know, what's your favorite scary movie? You said Prom Night in the movie. <laughs> yeah, that, that, yeah, that was a little later. Yeah, I remember, yeah, There's a lot of movies dropped, but, um, you know, right off, right off the... Carrie. Yeah, yeah, the Pig's yeah, Blood. They, they named a lot of different movies that, you know, actually inspired them um, throughout the movie, like, like their motivations, but... Um, I love the dropping of all the d- individual uh, movies that actually w- went into making this movie. Like they, they took some notes from everybody. Yeah, definitely. And you know, one of the things um, that that really 
I wouldn't say upset me, but really bummed me out is when I first saw this movie, I had it on VHS and I was way too young to have it, but <laughs> it is what it is. Um, and I, I will credit this movie, and I, it's going to sound <laughs> really bad, but I will credit this movie with giving me not only my love for movies, but a lot of my personality. Um, you know, my, my movie knowledge and my love for movies is a lot like Randy and, okay, yeah, uh, you yeah. know, Jamie Kennedy's character. Love him. But being a kid... Everyone's uh, a suspect! <laughs> Sorry, Everyone Sorry, is a suspect. <laughs> uh, but uh, being a kid watching Matthew Lillard as Stu, my personality was very much like his. Not the psycho slasher killer. I mean, still ready to tell. But yeah, hopefully not. <laughs> I wouldn't do well in prison. But um, you, you know, b- between the two of them, that was a huge part of my personality, yep. and it still reflects on that today. I still have people comment and saying, you know, you kind of like this guy here. But I mean, I love Stu. Stu, Stu is a great character in the movie. I love oh, Matthew Lillard. I'm a huge uh, Matthew Lillard fan. Oh, I was until he did Thirteen Ghosts, and that kind of threw me off. But yeah, eh, know, beside the point, <laughs> I, I, I didn't hate Thirteen Ghosts. I didn't hate it. It wasn't amazing, but you know, you had Tony Shalhoub. But yeah. we are getting sidetracked. So. <laughs> Um, but that opening scene, I remember as a kid having it on VHS and, you know, since then watching it on DVD and on not TV, but, uh, you know, if it's on HBO or whatever, seeing it, there's a lot of stuff that's cut out. And we'll get yeah, into a changes. little more into that, uh, you know, as we progress through the movie. But um, one of the the changes was I remember her boyfriend, Steve, in the VHS version when he gets cut open his guts come rolling down his leg, mm-hmm. and the shot of her hanging from the tree was much faster in the newer versions than that. And I did a little research, and I looked into it, and what what happened was uh, when Wes Craven submitted the movie, and I believe it was around nine times he had to yeah, resubmit it. The they were, yeah, they were trying to give him a NC-17 rating, and that drastically would affect the, the box office. So... He was forced to make some changes, and with the Drew Barrymore scene in particular, he cut every other frame so it would get to her body hanging from the tree Lock faster. Yeah. Um, and which I don't know how that would really change the rating because like you're still seeing the same scene, even though it's quicker, but yeah. you, it's still you're still seeing everything. So I don't know how that even affected it. Well, he tried over and over to get it well, down to times. an R. Yeah, and I, I believe the um, – was it Weinstein? Oh, yeah, Harvey. Uh, I think it was so Harvey, I guess. He so. ended up stepping in and talking to the studio, and he got it changed. And when Wes Craven asked what he did, he told the MPAA to view it as a comedy. Satirical, yeah. And that drastically changed their outlook on it, so they yep. gave it the R. Yep, yep. Uh, but speaking of uh, Drew hanging from the tree, uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Drew. Let's switch that um, over. Speaking of her hanging from the tree, they actually, uh, you know, a lot of people thought that they used her own body. No, that, yep. But they actually used a body double on it. And if you pause it just right, you you can tell. But it was so beautifully done. Um, there were a lot of a lot of shots in that movie that, or, I'm sorry, in that scene that I thought were brilliant. Um, one of them, uh, in particular being the knife right as it's about to close down mm-hmm. on her. Uh, she pulls the mask off to see who it is, and, and the camera pans r- up to, right the, to the, knife, the knife, yep. and it just sits there as if the yep. killer is saying, yeah, look, look at me, and then bam. But what if she didn't recognize him? What, you know, what kind of, you know, like, would that really have done anything? Well, <laughs> well I mean, fi- finding out who it was, who I mean, I'm pretty you? sure she recognized <laughs> him. But even, even if she didn't, you know, just the killer saying, hey, 
get a good look at my face. Mm-hmm. Last thing you'll ever see. Um, but the, yeah, that opening scene was amazing. And you know who does not get a lot of credit for that scene, and I think should, is the mother, the actress who played the mother. Um, she oh, That wail that she did when, when oh, she was like, man. baby? Yeah, is that you, baby? And just the just everything oh, yeah. with her, it's you know, the sheer terror in her eyes, not knowing where her daughter is, yeah. and and the people these days are so, like I said, desensitized to this kind of stuff that you don't stop and put yourself into the position of if you were the parent of this child, not knowing what's going on, walking into your house like that, and then finding your daughter gutted and hung from a tree, it's absolutely terrifying. Uh, that's horrible. I well, mean, I couldn't even imagine it. Then, but like I said, back then. We didn't have that. We were not. We, we were very sensitive to it. Yeah. Like we all freaked out. The whole the whole audience. It was it was crazy well, in the theaters. And, and you know another thing. <clears throat> excuse me. Another thing is. Um, I don't remember where I was going with this. <laughs> Honestly, it goes places. Uh, this is live live podcast. Uh, another thing with with this scene was um, the the actor that played her boyfriend. And yeah. I don't want to skip too far ahead, but uh, we're only on one scene. I know, I know, but, <laughs> but it's twelve minutes. The, scene. the the actor. Oh, I meant to talk about this earlier, but I forgot. The the actor who played uh, Stephen Orth, his name is Kevin Patrick. He was actually up for firsty, the, firsty. Yeah, he was he was up for the role of Billy Loomis. It was between yeah. him and Skeet Ulrich, and he did not get the part. It went to Skeet, which I mean, obviously, did Skeet have a little movie. you know power, like star power in that? Do you think he got a little phone call ahead? ahead uh, I don't, from I don't Johnny think Depp? so. I mean, yeah. he he didn't do too much at that point. I think I know he was in the craft that year, but I, I wouldn't say so. I, I just think yeah. just he obviously was well, the he perfect was choice na- for Billy. N- Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare. He was in the first Nightmare on Elm Street. Johnny Depp yep. was so yep. he kind of got that you know recognition with uh, yeah. you know West. Could have, but um, I think that's what but added to it. Ultimately, the role ended up going to. Uh, Skeet Ulrich, Skeet. but they wanted to keep. I liked him. Yeah, oh, I thought he was phenomenal. But they wanted to keep him. Uh, oh, sorry, they wanted to keep Kevin Patrick in the movie, so they gave him good. the role of Stephen Orth. Mm-hmm. And Too you know, any obviously, he didn't really get any lines. You know, but all in all, I think that scene really sets the tone for the movie. It really gets the audience into that. Oh my God, this is terrifying. What's going on? And right off the bat shows that even though there are rules, which we will get to, yep. uh, even though there's rules, it's not going to be something that you're expecting. It's going to be something outside the box. Obviously, killing the biggest star of the movie yeah. right off the bat was the first shocker in uh-huh. a long list of shockers well, in this movie. Like I said, something back then that wasn't even dreamt of doing something like this. So they created a whole new chemistry to the entire genre. And, you know, they did it. They hit it up right, right from the gate and you know, been shocking us the entire movie. Um, but I, I give it a credit to it. But if you guys haven't seen it, uh, last week I did have majority of that opening scene on Suit and Tie Movie Guys' first episode um, in his top ten. I, I believe it's number three, right? Yeah, number, yeah, three. number three. Number three, actually, most of the opening scene is actually in the show. So go back, watch it, so you guys have an idea what we were talking about. Um, I don't think I added any of the horror, the gore, or anything like that. I don't think I could, you know, YouTube. Uh, but it is what it is. Um, but like I said, you could watch the opening scene, give an idea what we're talking about with the star power, Drew Barrymore, phone call. Um, but like I said, a lot of the gore was taken out. Yeah. Way to go. Just ruin the scene. I mean, but there, you know, if you guys go on YouTube, you guys can see power the, of editing. You can see the uncut and you can see the um, 
the the one that you typically see these days. So it's all over the place. So if you guys haven't seen it, go check it out. But um, as the movie progressed, uh, you know, we got introduced uh, for the first time to Sydney Prescott, who was Nev Campbell. Nev Campbell. Uh, she was actually she was doing pretty well for herself at the time too. She, party of Five. I love yeah, Party of Five. Party, oh man. Uh, I, I will not lie. I'm not going to admit I watched Party of Five. I will lie. gladly admit it. <laughs> Everybody wants to live like they want to live. But, yeah, they. I'm not a good singer, sorry. But like... they, uh, Party of Five had a couple you know, future slashers. Absolutely. Uh, we had Jennifer Love Hewitt. We had Nev Campbell. I, I've loved Jennifer Love Hewitt for the oh longest time, but that's God. another. Uh, not a lot of you know this, but oh. she was on Kids Incorporated 1989, 1990. I have all, the whole series uh, from Disney, but, you know, we'll get into that later when, we do, uh, when I do probably um, – uh, I know what you did last summer coming up on uh, Horrified. You guys, stay tuned. You know, I know what you did last summer uh, was actually, you know, right after Scream, that was one of the movies that, because of the success of Scream, oh, yeah. was created. They capitalized it. And obviously, I don't want to talk too much about I Know What You Did Last Summer, but definitely without Scream, there probably would be no I Know What You Did Last Summer. Without no the Jennifer success of Scream, no. Without the success of Scream, th- those, others, those other movies would have been not existent. Yeah. Um, no one would even notice. And Scream 2 had Sarah Michelle Gellar, so oh, yeah. she was in both movies. But anyway, so we get introduced to Skeet Ulrich and uh, Nev Campbell. <clears throat> you know, he sneaks through the room, tries to, you know, get a little raw footage, as they say. Mm. But... Um, you know, kind of PG thirteen. S- yeah, kind of, <laughs> kind of see what kind of, uh, kind of see what kind of girl she is. You know, yeah. and introduce this relationship, and uh, you know, s- meet the dad briefly, and that very briefly. Wonderful door setup where you get a lock. Oh situation. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's you know, that's I don't know how that they came up with that, but but uh, then you know you move on to the uh, into the school. And uh, you know there was some there was some cameos in this movie. Uh, Linda Blair oh, who yeah. was in the, the original Exorcist. Yeah. She was one of the reporters. Uh, that whole school scene uh, kind of opened up and started introducing other characters. Uh, you had Tatum uh, played by Rose McGowan. Rose McGowan. Uh, she actually was also a brunette, and they had her dye her hair so she wouldn't look too much like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but did she go out for um, Sydney Prescott? I don't. I remember reading. Yeah, that. I, I think she did. Uh, you know who else? <laughs> the, Kevin Williamson actually wanted Molly Ringwald from uh, Sixteen Candles. I couldn't see that. No, I no. couldn't see that. I, I she, like she, she's she's a teeny bopper. You know, everyone loved her yeah, in the eighties. She, she actually didn't want to do it because she was sick of playing teenagers and she was twenty seven. I mean, but, how old was Nev Campbell when she did this movie? Uh, I think she would have probably been around twenty twenty one. Yeah, okay. in that area. I mean, they were all adults. I think that was a comedy and scary movie. What are they going to? <laughs> middle 20 year old to play college kids yeah you know it's, it seems <laughs> like kids. to be kind of the status quo with a lot of the oh, horror genre oh, yeah. uh, mid 20s I think Skeet Ulrich was actually around 30 I uh, I'm sorry not, not Skeet Ulrich uh, Matthew Lillard was around 30 really yeah okay he looked young he looked young but uh, you know so we get introduced uh, to Rose McGowan we get introduced to Henry Winkler as the principal the Fonz. The Fonz. And we get introduced for the first time to Dewey and Gail Weathers, uh, Courtney mm-hmm. Cox, and David Arquette, who actually met on set and uh, got married because of Scream. Was that after the first one? Did they get married? I or don't recall when they got married in real life, but I think they divorced in 2013. Mm. Guys. Guys. <laughs> please get back together. But, um, <laughs> you know, Courtney you. Cox really wanted to play the... I'm going to quote her bitch character, and she really wanted to get out of that Friends, Monica Geller, uh, kind of friendly, boppy, ha ha ha, and, a character. And, and actually, the Weinsteins didn't believe that she could do it. Like they had other people in mind for that role because they didn't think that she could pull that off, oh, and she people was awesome. would not. Oh, absolutely, I she think was they, great. Absolutely, and she she set the record straight for that. But uh, we 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 see 
uh, a little bit, a little glimpse of Sydney's past uh, with her mother uh, being murdered almost a year prior. Um, we get introduced to the rest of the characters. We get introduced to Matthew Lillard, who plays Stu. And Who's dating Rose McGowan in the movie. Yeah, everyone seemed to date everyone except for poor Jamie Kennedy. I mean, because he, <laughs> he wanted, you know, the main girl. You know, he's the, you know, the geek that didn't get the main girl. Yeah. You know, and, and I, he's, he was one of my favorites in the movie. I ended up becoming a huge movie buff like him. Maybe not quite as much, but I am doing a YouTube show about movies. So, but Are you? Yeah, you know anybody that might watch it? <laughs> but this scene I thought was really good because it really introduced the characters. It, it introduced, you know, um, Stu's playful nature. It introduced uh, Randy's goofiness. You know, did you really put her liver in a mailbox? And liver alone! Yeah, <laughs> it was a joke. But there was a lot of um, kind of subtle hints right off, the, right off the bat as to the killer. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Stu says, uh, I didn't kill anybody. And Billy says, nobody said you did. Yep. So, you know, stuff like that, looking back after the fact, it's like, well, did they do that on purpose? Was that kind of foreshadowing? But, well, um, you, you know, you know things they want to throw in there. Yeah, you know, they referenced basic instinct and the ice pick. And, um, you know, they, they had Tatum talking about how Stu was with her last night. Yeah. And, For you know, I yeah. can't imagine only one of the killers – doing the Casey and Steve murders because hmm, I don't you know, think it could be done. With no, one. I mean, definitely someone had to be on the phone. Someone had to be in the house hanging up, yep. uh, hanging Casey up from the tree. So my thought was, you know, which one did the killing? And if you look back and that's actually a question a lot of people ask is which killer did what killing? Yeah. And there's been a lot of debate and, you know, it, it would have made a lot of sense in my opinion to have Stu kill Casey because they dated. Yeah. But one thing that threw me off of that, was when she pulled the mask off, it would have made sense, like, hey, look, it's me, it's Stu. Uh, you dated me, you broke up with me, now I'm going to kill you. Yeah. But the one thing that I was always like, eh, maybe, was the knife being up. Because towards the end of the movie, you see that same shot that Billy doing it. So, okay. you know, okay. there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of scenes where it's like, well, it could have been this one, could have been that one. Well, but I know we didn't want to talk about any sequels, but they, they tried to throw in a little monkey wrench into that, saying there was a third killer doing right, it, so, right. that, so they wanted to do it something like that but yeah, th that, they added that later on but I know I didn't want to talk about it but yeah. that's just something that they wanted to like okay I saw where they want wanted to question some things in this movie so let's put a let's put a band-aid on it and that's right, what they right. yeah it, you know and that that whole bringing in Roman you know it was okay you know I didn't really care for that movie too much but you know going back and changing the first one in my opinion the first two killers were amazing I don't want to dive too much into this until we get towards the end of the movie but anyway so after that scene we kind of gotten introduced to our characters well you know what I, actually a real tidbit on the fountain scene mm -hmm. it actually made, made it look like friends like the friends fountain they scene did, they <laughs> did. i was like okay scream with the with me do like they yeah. should do the dots in the middle dripping blood yeah but um you know after the fountain scene which i i thought was a great introduction to all our characters and their personalities uh we we get to Sydney's house and she's getting ready to go to Tatum's for the night, yep. which you know Tatum is. Uh, well, because her father's out of town, she wanted right. to not be alone, and yeah, yeah, so, you know, yeah, they were gonna do a movie night. So uh, I would like to say first that the shooting locations for this movie were amazing. Uh, Sydney's house out in California, it's is, gorgeous. Oh my gosh, absolutely! So I strive to have something that nice, but chances mm. are oh, never will. <laughs> what, what mountains are you gonna say? Where are you gonna yeah, right. All the snake, all the snakes will have their own room. Uh, yeah, that's you don't not, like snakes. Not, not snakes. <laughs> he doesn't like snakes. I no have five. snakes. Well, we'll do a whole show on that one day. But yeah, I bet I'm gonna bring in the Simpsons uh, <laughs> whacking day. Whacking day. Oh, 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 oh whacking day. You owe me a lot of money. I mean, they're only gonna get knocked out. 
right. I'll knock you out and feed your cats to him. <laughs> that was just a joke. I would never do that. So we get to Sydney's house and we see the news and it's talking about Maureen Prescott being brutally murdered. And we get a quick shot of Cotton Weary. Um, yep. You know, the actor playing Cotton Weary, oh God, I can't remember his name off the top uh, of my head. Shrive, uh, Sh- Leaf Shriver. Leaf Shriver, yeah. Yep, so he actually was just on set that day, so they had him just do this quick shot, and he ended up getting a major part in the next movie and a small mm-hmm. part, very sad small part in the third movie. <laughs> but I like that part. I like what he did in the Oh, movie. I knew me too. That was my favorite part of the third movie. Was that hey, Christine! <laughs> she, she was on Melrose Place. My mom watched it, not me. But, uh, you know, we uh-huh. get to her house. We see a little more uh, about um, the Maureen Prescott death, and uh, Sydney obviously... Uh, saw Cotton, which we'll hear more about later. Um, well, th- this is the underlining meaning behind the movie. Like right now, her anniversary is coming up of her death, mm-hmm. and that's a, ultimately a thing that triggered these events. That's that's what, what they're trying to build up at, and how she falsely accused Cotton of committing the murders, and actually the murderer is still out there, and that's who they're making the assumption who's doing the murders exactly. now. Exactly. So we we get to the, her house. She you know she's getting ready to get picked up by Tatum. The phone rings. It's Tatum. You know I'll be there in a little bit. Talk about Tom Cruise's penis. <laughs> a little bit and then if you pause at the right time yeah just Brian trust me I have so oh he has the uh, <laughs> the phone rings again next and time a suit and tie movie guy hey listen <laughs> I, I could review that movie all day so the next uh, next time the phone rings she thinks it's Tatum again and we get Ghostface and yep Ghostface. Well, she thinks it's Randy the first time because right, uh, right. Yeah, Yeah, she ends up thinking it's Randy, and it quickly escalates to if you hang up on me, you'll die just like your mother and. We really get the first one-on-one interaction yep. with the two. Uh, she thinks it's some kind of sick prank coming up on the anniversary. She goes outside to investigate, closes the door, and bam, out of the closet. And there was a little bit of foreshadowing. Oh, yeah. Earlier. Because she says it's insulting that, you know, you know when the killer chases the big-breasted woman runs upstairs. So when she shows her go out the front door, it's insulting. Exactly. <laughs> and And – Earlier in the scene, when she's packing up to go to Tatum's, she opens the door, and you hear the music cue of, oh, something's going to happen, and nothing happens. And then later in the movie, Ghostface comes out of the closet. That was one of the foreshadowing. The other one, she tries going out the door. He stabs through the door. She has to go up the stairs. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, as far as this goes, it was always my impression. You know, I I hear a lot of people say, oh, he could have killed her. Why didn't he kill her? He made so many mistakes. But... What people don't realize is he wasn't supposed to. He did not want to kill her. You have to look at the bigger picture, what the end product was supposed to be with these murders. They were only trying to get Billy arrested. So when he made the call, this was all planned out. They wanted Billy to get arrested. They wanted her to get away because they wanted to take the heat off of him and make him the scapegoat, not only in real life, but also in the movie. They wanted him to be the suspect, but then get cleared yep. and take all the heat off of him so they could eventually point it towards the father. So one of the things that <laughs> that really, I guess, irritated me a little bit is, as much as I love this movie is the phone wasn't working, so she typed into her computer that she was having a problem, and I timed it. I don't recall exactly how long it was, but it was only about a minute or so before Dewey was at her front door. Yeah. Whereas 
how long did it take? <laughs> how long would it have taken to get the police out to Casey's house? Well, now, Casey Becker, she was out in the middle of the right, farmland. She was out in the middle of the farmlands. But at the same time, it, in my opinion, it was a little bit too quick. No, for I him agree. To already, you know, I just think that it got there. He got there a little bit too quick. But we got that really nice jump, <laughs> kind of jump comedy scare where. Oh yeah, with the holding the mask. Yeah. Oh my god! Ah! Oh, they both oh, yeah. scared. So this is where we see Billy get arrested. And but no, let's go back to that dial up. You know how long it takes dial up to get a response yeah. to. That noise. I know you kids oh, don't know oh, that they, noise. They, they will never know the struggle of oh, that. Man. Oh, man. But I don't see how she got a signal that fast to 911. And how they got there that fast. No. But so we see Billy get arrested. We see the sheriff, who was actually also a sheriff in the original Nightmare on Elm Street, which was a nice uh, little Easter egg there. there but he comes up with the scream mask and says, you know, this is what they used. This is what he was wearing. You know, we saw out of Billy's j- uh, jacket falls the cell phone and. Again, kids, you won't know the struggle of not having a cell phone on you at all times. But at that time, not everyone had a cell phone. Mm -hmm. So we see Billy get arrested. And, you know, I actually want to pause real quick and talk about the costume because it was kind of a coincidence. Uh, They always wanted the costume to be Ghostface after the painting, which if you guys look up the what was the scream? Scream The scream painting, which it's the face is going like this. It's literally the long, long face. Coincidentally, the movie got named Scream, and that was the Scream painting. And it's astonishing how much the costume looks like the painting. But I'm gonna actually go down and grab this. But actually, you know, the the Scream painting. Well, well, it wasn't originally named Scream. The movie wasn't named Scream. So scary (coughs) movie, actually. Scary movie, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then ultimately they said the motivation behind the name of Scream actually came from the Michael Jackson hit Scream. Right. And then uh, I, I don't know how the, the mask got oriented into it and how they found that, but how did. So with this mask, it was actually uh, just lucky. <laughs> uh, you know, they had a, a staff member of the movie that was out scouting locations and houses, and they found this mask, and they had to. Uh, Well, they showed Wes Craven, and then they backtracked to try to find out who the creator of the mask was. And it was actually a Fun World Costume Company. So they found the owners and, you know, the CEO and everything of the the company, and they said, you know, we want to use this mask in our movie. How much? And obviously they had all the power in the world at that point, so they gave them a number that the studio wasn't comfortable with. So um, they had Greg Nicotero and some other people. Greg Nicotero obviously is from um, Walking Dead fame. He does a lot of the um, uh, effects and stuff. Um, They had him basically recreate the costume with just enough changes that it – wouldn't be violation right so when they did that they came back to fun world and said look we can do this or we can come to an agreement and they were able to come to an agreement that worked for both sides obviously fun world profited immensely from this how many costumes how many costumes have you owned oh my gosh (laughs) (laughs) i mean that's what i'm saying i have two masks in my jurassic park jaws room just in the room i mean i've had probably 10 masks over the years that's what i'm saying like just the marketability that they're that that this attention that's going to bring to their product which i've never seen before prior to the movie so it just put them in more stores more and they were just able to probably make that money that they made that they requested originally and some so here we see we see billy get arrested and we come to the to the police station and they start interrogating him and his father's sitting there and you know they're saying check check the phone records check this check that Mm -hmm. you know his dad finds out that he went out to sydney's the night before and it's doing a couple things from a storyline standpoint it's um it's it's giving us it's giving us 
a suspect that yeah. can be cleared. So it throws us off suspecting that he's the killer. It's making it so obvious that he's the killer. It's the red herring. Exactly, the red herring. And I thought, wait, I thought it was a blue tilapia. Sure, we'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> so it you know gives tilapia. us this person that's so. You just want to say tilapia? I did. I like saying I like tilapia. It's a bottom feeder, but just like you. So we or get. <laughs> so we get this we get this scapegoat, we get this red herring. I'm sorry, red herring, not scapegoat. I don't know why I keep saying that. So we get this red herring and, and it's so obvious that he's the killer that he can't possibly be the killer. Yeah. And this is when we really, really meet Gail Weathers. Um, you know, she sneaks behind the building with her cameraman that she's constantly insulting. We mm -hmm. really see how mean she is compared to her Monica Geller character. Oh yeah. And you know, we find we find out that she, that she wrote a book about the murders of her mother. The Woodsboro, and, yeah. Yep, and 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 Sydney obviously didn't like it and punches her in the face. That was that was my one of my favorite scenes. Bam, bitch yep. went down. <laughs> Bam, Sid, super bitch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so after that, you know, we get the introduction, uh, more more of an introduction to Courtney Cox's character, and we're back at um, we're back at Tatum's house. Yep. And sleepover and right, and this is a huge pivotal moment of the movie, um, because while Billy's in jail, we get the phone call. Phone call. Nice. We get the yep. phone call from the killer, which is showing that while Billy is in jail, someone is calling, so it can't be him. And then he drops the line about, "It looks like you fingered the wrong man again." Yep. So now you're calling into question: Was Cotton really? Sorry, was Cotton Weary still the murderer? Um, yep. and basically leading the suspect list away from Billy, both in storyline purposes and in real life. And we find out the next day that he's been released because his phone bill was clean. Yep. Uh, and Sydney goes to school. I don't know why. I personally wouldn't have. No, we find out that they, traumatized. Can't, yeah, <laughs> they can't find her dad. So they're looking for him. So we get to the school. Um, and they bump into each other. Yes. Yes. They bump into each other. And, He's got the fingerprint, all of the fingerprint ink all over his hands. And I, I promise you, this is a true story. Up until maybe a few years ago, I always was like, why are his hands so dirty? I had, I did not put two and two together that it was, that it was the ink. But, um, you know, we see a lot of kids running around the school in ghost face masks. Yep. And that leads us into Henry Winkler's office where he proceeds to do things that would get him fired. 30 times over. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but um, it kind of introduces us to the caring principal who's not afraid to threaten students with scissors. Nope. Uh, although I do agree with what he was saying. Yeah, he expelled those two kids. That, yeah. yeah. He yeah, expelled yeah. those two kids. And he should have because, you oh. know, two two students get killed and, and one they almost gets killed. So Sydney makes her way to the bathroom where... Oh, wait. We missed the Wes Craven. Wes Craven came no, 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 right no, that there. comes up later. That comes up later. Trust me. Trust me. So uh, we come up to the bathroom, and Sydney hears a couple, oh, you know, bubbly cheerleader, you know, ditzy acting, acting girls, you mm -hmm. know, saying, "Oh, I bet she made the whole thing up." Then we get the attack from Ghostface in the bathroom, and there's mm -hmm. been a lot of debate over the years: was this really the, uh, was this really Ghostface? Was this was this Billy? Was this Stu? Who was it? Um, I don't see how it could have been Billy, honestly. Uh, unless he slipped in real quick, but mm. there's been a lot of debate on on who it was, and that scene. Uh, See, I that thought, one was a question because I would have waited till that person came out of the bathroom. Yeah, yeah, and and there was actually a scene that was deleted where uh, where Sydney runs crying into uh, the Fonz's office, and that's actually the reason why he 
uh, dismisses school and with that in the curfew, but they mm. ended up cutting it out. So uh, because of the attack, we get the curfew, we get Stu's brilliant idea of let's throw a party and, you know, strength in numbers, right? Strength in numbers. Yeah. You know, we, 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 we look at this and we say, who's, who's kids like who, what parents would let their kids out when there's a serial killer yep. going around. But at the same time, I mean, yes, this is a smaller town. So there is some legitimate, like, what are you doing? Like, yeah, yeah. beef with that but at the same time i mean people are murdered all the time and we were still allowed out so i mean i guess you could stretch you know your imagination a little bit to believe that but, but being a small town all these murders that's like you know it's not like camden or newark where there's like yeah, hundreds of thousands but this is right, woodsboro right. yeah <laughs> so you know you really get a question why are the parents <laughs> there was one one murder a year prior but i don't think they had a murder after that yeah no but you know it's like why why would you let your kids out to go to this party when there's a serial killer? No, absolutely. But a lot so of things in we get the setup for the for the you know the climax party scene, which is a fairly fairly long uh, part of the movie. But Fairly. in between, we we get a couple more shots of the killer <laughs> following them around in, in broad daylight. In broad daylight, in the ghost costume, in the grocery store, in the grocery store outside Sydney's house, uh, we get a little bit more. Um, we get a little more discussion on on her mom, you know, and and Tatum brings up the rumors of you know your mom, her mom being with other men, not just oh, Cotton. Yeah. And Sydney says, "I know that it was Cotton Weary. I know that it was him. I saw him." Uh, we get some dialogue between her and and Gail Weathers, and um, then we well, it made her question it because like you saw somebody leave with his jacket. Exactly. Exactly, and it really starts putting doubt, I think, in her mind. You yeah. know, even Gail says, "You know, you don't, you just don't know anymore." Um, so we're setting up for the party scene. We're seeing a lot of dialogue uh, about the mom between Tatum and Sydney, and then we get the confirmation that the phone calls to Casey and Steve were made by Neil Prescott, Her who is Sydney's father. Yeah. So the sheriff basically says that Neil Prescott made the phone calls. They're going to keep the curfew in effect. They're going to put roadblocks up, and if they haven't picked them up by morning, they're going to do a house-to-house search. Um, so now this is where you have a new suspect in Sydney's father. So yep. they're trying to keep the suspect list, you know, is, is... Well, they don't really have any other suspects. Now they've ruled out... Uh Billy, right. And one thing that you'll see throughout the movie is a lot of a lot of the characters are wearing black boots. Oh yeah. And the reason for that is the killer in the bathroom scene is wearing black boots. So you see the sheriff wearing black boots. You see a lot of people wearing black boots. So um, now they're really trying to put the heat on Neil Prescott. And uh, around this time, uh, might have been a little bit before, but this is where we see uh, Henry Winkler's death. And it's a shame. <laughs> yeah. Down with the Fonz. Hey. So. One of the reasons for his death was from the time Sydney was attacked up until the house scene at the end, you don't really see any deaths. So nope. they needed to throw something else in there. And there's actually quite a few Easter eggs in that scene, one of which being when they open, when uh, Henry Winkler opens up the closet door and mm -hmm. scares himself in the mirror, uh, his Happy Days Fonzie jacket is hanging there. I've never seen that. Yeah, I, I honestly, I when I was doing a little bit of uh, a little bit of research for this, that was one of the things I read, and it was really cool finding a new fact about the movie. But mm -hmm. my favorite cameo slash Easter egg in this entire movie has to be when Henry Winkler is searching the office for who's knocking. 
he opens the door. We might have to bleep this out, but he opens the door and says, y'all, you little shits. And we see the janitor. <laughs> and for all you Scream fans, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, but the janitor was actually played by the director of the movie, Wes Craven. And not only that, but you can hear Henry Winkler say, no, not you, Fred. So the janitor played by Wes Craven's name was Fred, and the sweatshirt he was wearing was the Freddy Krueger sweatshirt, yep. which was directed... The hat, too. And the hat, excuse me, the whole outfit, and it was directed by Wes Craven. So mm-hmm. that was a nice little uh, kind of Easter egg cameo there. Um, and so then we get to Henry Winkler's death, and I remember watching the DVD commentary where Wes Craven was talking about how death in a horror movie should never be funny. Because these people are dying. These characters are dying. And he wants the audience to put themselves in their sh- in the shoes of the people who are dying and just how terrified they would be. And, and Henry Winkler did a great job portraying that terror. And I don't really want to talk too much about sequels, but it seems that towards at least definitely the fourth movie, uh, Wes Craven seems to have forgotten that. And I don't, you know, I love Wes Craven. I, I love the Scream franchise. Even with the problems of the sequels, I love them. But in Scream 4 in particular, there's a couple scenes that really I thought should have been changed. Well, and that whole Anthony Anderson scene with this as a cop death scene. Uh, right, right. That was definitely a big one. They were talking earlier in the movie about how Bruce Willis always is the only cop that survives and the first cop gets stabbed in the back and dies immediately. And I'm okay with that because, you know, you could um, you could say that maybe he got stabbed in the heart, fine. And then Anthony Anderson gets stabbed in the head with the knife and doesn't die. He's struggling, he's fighting. And I actually loved that because just because you get shot or stabbed in the head doesn't mean you immediately die. Yep. You know, there are people who survive that stuff. So him struggling and fighting, I thought was amazing. And then it comes. <laughs> Fuck Bruce Willis. And I'm just like, ah, oh, you just, come on. You have the death scene with Olivia where her guts are hanging out, and it's amazing, and then you have that. And it's like, that line for me ruined that scene. But I don't know if he ad-libbed that, maybe. I don't, I'd have to go to the yeah, he might have, commentary. He might have, but they didn't have to put that in. I, and, and, yeah. and, it's you know, you can debate whatever you want. I don't think it should have been left in the movie. And there was another one in that movie, another scene where – they were saying basically all bets are off, all rules are off. You pretty much have to be gay to survive. Okay. Yeah. Um, survive. And as one of the movie lovers in the in the in the movie is getting stabbed, one of the movie geeks is getting stabbed to death. He stops and goes, "Wait, wait, wait you can't. I'm gay. If that helps." And to me, whether he was gay or not, I mean, it just to me while you're getting stabbed to stop and say that he they made it funny and it's it's I. I I don't have a problem with comedy in these movies, but I think that death needs to remain scary. It needs no, absolutely. You need to, you need to. Yeah, but also puts like real like into it because you know people, um, they they could relate to some things like that. Yeah, but I just you know for me personally, if I'm getting stabbed, am I going to stop and go wait, wait, wait? I'm gay. I'm gonna try to do whatever I can to stop him. I don't know. Look, I'm gonna <laughs> fight. I'm gonna fight him off. I'm gonna punch him. I'm gonna kick. But I'm yeah, not gonna yeah. stop and say, "Hey, I'm gay." You know, that's just for me. You know, I, I think Wes Craven might have forgotten a little bit about yeah. that. But anyway, that scene uh, kind of gave us another death, and it set up something which we'll talk about later. It set up uh, something at the party. So um, we pretty much get to the party scene. We have. You know, a few suspects, kind of Neil Prescott's pretty much the biggest suspect. We see that Courtney. still can't find him. Yeah, can't find him. Uh, we see that Courtney Cox, uh, as well as um, 
uh, David Arquette, Dewey, Dewey. And, Dewey and Gale are both at the party. Um, they bump into each other, and you know, why are why, why are you here? Well, why are you here? <laughs> So we're at the party. Uh, Dewey asks uh, Dewey asks Gail if she wants to, you know, check out the party with him. Uh, she slips in, and and all the all the kids are starstruck. And and I never understood when I was a kid why they were so starstruck. Like, oh, it's just a news reporter. But then I started thinking, like, well, if a news reporter came to a party, it's not like they all know each other. And Dewey was gloating. He was like, "She's with me." Yeah, she's <laughs> with me. He doesn't care that everyone's <laughs> drinking and there's a killer out there. But yep. hey, Gail's with me. Yep. <laughs> so she uh, she slips the camera. Uh, into the spot under the TV, so above the VCR. Oh. Now, kids, a VCR, <laughs> VCR. Oh. is uh, <laughs> something that if we you didn't have one of those rewinders. You were, you were oh, screwed. No, it took forever to rewind. So she gets the camera in there. It's on a thirty-second delay. Tatum gets angry and basically kicks them out. Uh, but now the party's being monitored by a camera that's thirty seconds behind. Yep, delay. So um, obviously, knowing what we know now, Stu asks uh, Tatum to go get some more beer because basically he needs her out of there because otherwise she's going to drag uh, Sydney out of the party with her. Yeah. So we get that infamous garage scene with those luscious nipples oh, yeah. of Rose McGowan. Rose, if you I'm were so watching... I'm so happy they didn't take those out. Oh, God. Rose, if you're watching, I love you. So <laughs> I don't think she's going to call. I don't think so. So, <laughs> so we get that scene, and obviously she thinks the killer is Randy until he cuts her. You know, these killers take some serious abuse and have no bruises on their face. They get hit with doors. I mean, they get hit with beer bottles. Maybe they got a little helmet underneath there. <laughs> maybe uh, they must. Face mask. So uh, she tries, obviously, to crawl through the cat door, which actually Rose McGowan, I don't know if you know this, but Rose McGowan actually was able to crawl through that cat door. I mean, what kind of dog did they have? A St. Bernard? I think they just had cats. That's all I saw. For a doggy dog? But even with those glorious... I mean, she jo- was skinny. She was she very was, skinny. Tiny. I mean, she was tiny. She was you, like 5'2", five 5'3". Two, yeah, five t- well, if you take away the, the massive bust of hers... <laughs> it I, would would never, have no I, w- I would never take away that I would that never take it away. So she actually would have been able to get through it. But that's an- this is actually another scene that for the NC-17, they they cut a little bit. And it was her head going into the garage door. And But how did that garage door lift her up? Was that like, <laughs> a, like a 50 horsepower... I- not American made. Uh, well, <laughs> definitely not. Definitely not. Oh man, that was that was a great shot though. And I, you know, they used um, they used a body. You know, they used a lot of fake blood in this movie. Oh, absolutely. Fifty gallons. Fifty gallons. Fifty gallons of fake blood. And a little bit later, they talk about corn syrup. Oh, absolutely. Being, it was from Carrie. Yep, being used as pig's blood. And actually, the the blood in the in the last scene, especially, was was actually corn syrup with Billy. So now, Tatum, spoiler, spoiler. Yeah, all this whole thing's a spoiler. <laughs> well, so, we didn't get there yet. Yeah. So <laughs> we, um, so now we have Tatum out of the picture, uh, which was really important for their plan. And this is where we see that Billy is actually at the party. Yep, he comes in. Uh, Randy's trying to pick up uh, Sydney. Sydney. Yeah. <laughs> as if, and uh, he gets a little upset that Billy's there and decides to go check on the rest of the party. They go upstairs. And I believe this is where uh, they they go on a walk. They start going on a walk around this time. Well, this is the rules. This is when he does the rules. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's well, yes, boring, uh, yeah. boring. Yeah. So it's around the same time. So this is where we get introduced to the rules. 
rules. There are certain rules that one must abide by to successfully survive a horror movie. Uh, rule number one, you can never have sex. Virgins usually live. Talk about Jamie Lee Curtis. I'm so and, dead. And, <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, right? <laughs> I'm dead a lot of times <laughs> over. So uh, we get, you cannot drink, cannot do drugs. It's a sin factor and it's extension. And never, ever, under any circumstances, never, ever, under any circumstances, <laughs> say, I'll be right back because you won't be back. Q. Stu saying, I'll be right back. Well, and after, right before that, right before he introduces the, the rules, he's macking on some girl. Like, he knows yep. his girlfriend's already dead. <laughs> yeah, he knows. <laughs> like, he's got his arm around, licking yep. her face and whatnot. Like, yep. like, he so, know, he, like, I don't know. If he did it himself or, well, he had to have done it himself. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. Billy just no, got no, the part. Yeah, Billy, yeah, Billy so, okay. probably did it. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah, yeah. Stu let him in and he swung around oh, the house. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was, you know, another, another aspect. Or, I'm, I'm sorry, another part where people are like, who did what? Yeah, Fair. that's the only Chan- way that would have happened. Yeah. That's the only way that was it was Billy. So you know, Billy I just came. thought it was funny that it was macking on that girl. Like, as a, like, <laughs> like Randy didn't question like your girlfriend. Where is yeah. your girlfriend? <laughs> well, you know, high schoolers are scumbags. Come on, true high true. school guys. Yeah. So he separates him from the, himself from the party, and you know, after the fact, watching watching the movie, um, you you really see how long he was gone, and it's kind of like wow, obvious. Um, <laughs> so. You know, we kind of cut between the rules and Courtney Cox, and they decide to go on on a walk. Um, we said they spot he, uh, something on the radio. Said they spotted like a car or, or yeah. something out in the middle of the road or something like that. Right. So they go on the walk. We come back to the party now. Well, this is where they cast the red herring on David Arquette's character because he was like, "You want to go for a walk?" And he right. was a flashlight and whatnot. And I was like, "Okay, <laughs> right, exactly. Let's but go." Who would ever <laughs> believe that Dewey was the killer? You got you got Courtney Cox and David Arquette. They're taking a walk, but they really needed to get the kids out of the party to be able to follow through with their plan. Okay. Enter the death of Henry Winkler. Um, obviously, he was not liked by a lot of the students. That he was expelling people. Sure. So, uh, what I would say happened here was when Stu left, he made the phone call yeah. to let them know that Henry Winkler uh, had been, the principal had been hung from the goalpost. Yep. So that got the kids out of the car uh, simultaneously. Out of the house, hopped in the car. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Into the car. They're they're driving down the road. There's a lot of stuff going on. You know, you have the walk going on. You have this going on, they're and then you sex have upstairs. you have you, have <laughs> you jump the gun. Typical to your sex life, huh? <laughs> so then you see power play, we, power play. We, we see we see Billy and uh, Billy and Sydney up in the room and, and she's finally given up. So now she's able to die because she's no longer a virgin. And during this scene, she asks him, who did you call? And this makes us go, wait a minute. Even though the police officers, I'm sure, were monitoring the whole situation. Wait a minute. So the kids. They bolt out the door. They almost run over Gail and Dewey, which we'll get back to in a minute. But here we are in the bedroom. Who would you call? He gets this terrifying look on his face. I'm not a killer. (laughs) Well, he said, I called my dad. Right, right. Well, he says he calls his dad. And she said, well, Sheriff Burke called your dad. And he's like, well, he didn't answer when I called. So, you know, he seems like he's getting a little offended. He gets this real serious look. And then in the background, we see Ghostface comes in. Mm -hmm. And he just... Fish fillets, Billy, bop, 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 blood everywhere. Um, we get a chase scene. She runs out the door. It's a huge house. Did you see how he ran around the house, through the house? <laughs> yeah, the chases are everywhere. Chases are everywhere. Um, we see the kids that had left the party almost run over Gail and Dewey. And they kind of, hey, we're going to kiss. And then that's when we see it. We yep. see the car in the bushes. It's Neil Prescott. It's Sydney's father. He's still in town. What's he doing in here? So they have to rush back. 
They got to rush back and they got to phone well, it. Well, also in. during the time while they're, they're looking at the car, Sydney. Cameraman. It, yeah, Sydney yep. escapes th- uh, through that, uh, off the roof, jumps on, falls onto the boat, runs around the house. Sees now, Tatum. Yep. Um, sees Tatum and then Ghostface is in the house now with mm-hmm. Randy. Um, and he has a little scene with her as, um, I don't know, he was like lurking over her, over him. And it was mm-hmm. like, it was, it looks like he was going to kill him. But then he hears Sydney out back come through the gate. You know, there's actually a real, real. Uh, fun fact there. I, I read this a few years back, but Skeet Ulrich, who plays Billy, really wanted to have at least one scene where he was actually in costume, where he was actually going to uh, be Ghostface, and that was the scene. He was actually in costume over uh, Randy, over over Jamie Kennedy's oh. character, uh, about to stab him when we hear Sydney screaming. So Sydney comes up to the cameraman. The cameraman's like, I have a, I have a, I have a camera in the house, and then he's going to help Randy. But then, oh man, we're on a delay. Yep. Well, he was looking for the phone too. He was looking for the phone. Yep. And he was going to call yep. the cops. And it was like they looked at the camera. What's going on? And then he saw saw sees Ghostface with Randy, and then he sees turns around. And there's an open hallway. O- open door. Open yep. door wide open. He said, because "Oh, thirty second delay." Turns back around and. <laughs> And that was actually another scene that was cu- uh, cut down a little bit because of the rating to get the R instead of the NC-17. And it wasn't it wasn't the gash, it wasn't the blood. It was a specific look on the actor's face who played the cameraman that they wanted cut out. So mm. if you guys look on YouTube, you can find that as well. So the cameraman, he's dead. Sydney's going out the little hole in the back of the van. Ghostface is chasing her, misses her. You can see he's frustrated. Um... And then shortly after that, this is when Gail and Dewey get back. So Gail and Dewey get back to the uh, to this to the house, and Dewey tells Gail, "Hey, you need to phone this in." And do you remember the size of that phone? Oh my god, it's huge! It's like that horse phone. It was like, <laughs> like a foot long. You know, the evolution of of phones over the last twenty years is insane. Back oh and back then, you have this brick that couldn't do anything, and now yeah. And now we have computers, cameras, video cameras, everything in this little phone. So Dewey runs into the house. He's looking, trying to find uh, Neil Prescott because he thinks he's he's there. He's the killer. Um, Gail finds the cell phone, and she ends up getting not attacked, but she gets startled by Randy. Beats him down with the phone, mm-hmm. and then hops in the van. Hops in the van. Let's get it going. And she turns on the windshield wipers and sees that there's something all over the windshield. She's yeah. like, what is this? So she turns on the wipers and boop, 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 and we see that it's blood. So she freaks out. She tries to take off, and the cameraman is on top of the van. And yep. he falls down. And Can he get off the that windshield? windshield? Yep. And Sydney runs out in front of her, causing the van to go down the hill and crash into a tree. Yep. So now here we are. Sydney's running back to the house. Sydney's running back to the house. Uh, she sees that Dewey comes out of the doorway. Sydney. And she's like, oh, you know, sigh of relief. And he's got a knife in his back. So we know Dewey's not the killer. Uh, we see the killer come off, wipe the blood. And that's one of my favorite scenes when he when he wipes that blood off. It, it look, he's so tough. Yeah, it yeah. looks so tough and scary. <laughs> he like, does oh, it. Oh man. Yeah, he did effortlessly. It, he did it a couple times. He did it in the Billy scene too. So she gets into the police car. Yep. And Jeep Cherokee. Jeep Cherokee. <laughs> and that was actually a really good scene Two-door, too. Which is I, weird. I I think it was really really scary. 
Um, oh, yeah. Seeing just the suspense of doors unlocking and slowly in the background, you see the back opening and she tries to radio it in and she ends up getting choked by him and she gets away, of course, Ooh. and goes towards the house. This is where we see Randy enter from one angle and Stu enter from the other. And now we're like, OK, who's who? Yep. What's going on? She's got the gun pointed at him. Forget you both. Runs in the house and locks the door. Here we are. My absolute favorite part of the entire movie. Billy comes stumbling out of the room, blood all over his shirt, falls down the stairs. That's, that was funny. I love that scene. Oh, my gosh, man. This, 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 I, I could watch this scene over and over and over. So, you know, she says that they're out there. He lets Randy in, and Randy says, Stu's flipped out. He's gone mad in this is the revelation. This is the big moment that everyone's been waiting for, the payoff, the reveal. So he goes, we all go a little mad sometimes, which was actually uh, an homage to uh, Psycho, Mm. which he obviously says, Anthony Perkins, Psycho. So this is where she realizes that her boyfriend is, in fact, the killer. They did everything they could to make him look like the killer, make it so obvious that he actually wasn't. And then he ends up being the killer. So she turns to run away and bumps into Stu. And this is where everyone goes. <gasps> he lifts up the voice changer and goes, surprise, Sydney. Oh, yeah. And they realize or she realizes now that she's trapped. And this is the big revelation to the entire audience that there's not one but two killers. And there's a voice changer, which to me at that time, before anyone had seen Scream, this was like, what? Yeah. Oh my god. Never before been like, done. Like it, it hadn't been done. And again, like we've seen it so many times now. It's just like, oh, it's just a voice changer. Oh, it's two killers. All this. But at that time, it was like, wow. Yeah. Wow. This big revelation that there's two killers. I mean, and I I can watch that scene over and over. And the way they throw the voice changer back and forth. She asks why? Why'd you kill my mother? And you know, there was a real good bit of acting by uh, Skeet Ulrich here. And even Matthew Lillard as well, because he, you know, they start talking about the movies and how it's, you know, you don't need a motive these days. But you can see the look of shock on um, on Matthew Lillard's face when Billy starts talking about the uh, his father mm-hmm. and her mother sleeping together. And oh, he had a motive. Yeah, he absolutely had a motive. And you know, uh, Stu was just kind of psychotic follower you know billy was the leader the well you know roman as well but as far as this movie goes at this time billy was the leader Stu just got blackmailed into not blackmailed i'm sorry Stu got talked into it yeah um so they bring out the father um and they explain the whole plan trying to frame him up yep they they clone the cellular cellular his cellular he's the chief suspect it's the anniversary of his wife's death he went crazy killed a bunch of kids and then killed her and shot himself in the head and they needed something to make it look like they had been attacked too so this is where we come to my favorite scenes one of my favorite scenes as well the (laughs) the stabbing scene so (laughs) so Stu gets stabbed Stu stabs billy billy freaks out because Stu stabbed him too deep and just goes (laughs) goes <laughs> fish fillet on stew oh, yeah. and this was another scene that they cut out uh some of the shots on for the for the r rating and it was the knife you know hitting stew in a couple angles and <laughs> he's just dripping blood and this is a movie that has uh quite a bit of uh improv 
Oh yeah, Ma- Matthew Lillard is funny. Funny as hell. Funny as um, and you might have to bleep this out too, but when he's bleeding. And, <laughs> and Billy throws the phone and hits him in the head. And he goes, oh, you fucking hit me with the phone, dick. Yeah. That was not intentional. He was not supposed to hit him with the phone. The fake blood made the phone uh, slippery, and it ended up hitting him. And that was the line that came out of his mouth when he really got hit with the phone. That hurt, too. Uh, along with the mom and you dad are going to be so it? mad at me. <laughs> so we see Gail come back in. She's got the gun. She forgets to take the safe. She forgets to take the safety off. They knock her out. They realize Sydney's gone. So Sydney starts playing a little game of her own. She's got the voice changer. Where's she at? Um, you know, she's called the police and Billy starts freaking out, tearing the place apart. Stu's bleeding, pretty much about to die, uh, from blood loss. Um, and when, when Billy hears noises in the other room, he thinks that she's in the closet. So she, he opens up the closet door and it ends up being Halloween on the TV and it's the same closet scene from Halloween. And, you know, so, oh, maybe she's not in there. And here's another fun fact. When she bursts out of the closet and stabs him with the umbrella, he had a device that was supposed to be where the umbrella hit, and she missed <laughs> and actually caught him in the shoulder, which if you if you watch his face during that scene. So right there, that umbrella was actually hitting his skin, causing <laughs> a bunch of pain. Um, Stu bursts through the door. Um tries to attack city and there's a couple more uh, impro- uh improvised lines there um as they're fighting and he says i always had a thing for you sid and she says in your dreams and dumps the tv, the TV all improvised <laughs> <laughs> and that was the end of probably one of my favorite movie characters ever yeah, <laughs> stumacher um so the dad he comes out Courtney Cox comes out. They're all there. Randy. Uh, Randy's okay. There's a couple other jump scares. Um, Billy starts fighting, and she sticks her finger in his wound, and as he goes up, just like the killer at the beginning with the knife, bam, gets shot by Gail. Yep. Didn't forget the safety that time. (laughs) (laughs) So... Everyone's gathered around. The dad's there. Randy's there. Everyone's okay. They're kind of looking at him on the ground. Is he dead? Bam. Right in the hand. You know, Tries to they do always, a jump they, scare. They always, right. always that last jump scare. But they, uh, they put the bullet in his head, and that is the end of the killing spree of Billy Loomis and Stu Mocker. So we find out after that that uh, Dewey is actually alive and... You know, he's obviously in the sequels, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's to this day, not only one of my, uh, not only my favorite horror movie, but it is also in my top three movies of all time, uh, as far as enjoyability and watching, uh, you know, it spawned many sequels. Yep. It brought back the genre. We, I know what you did last summer, urban legend, um, you know, brought back more Halloween movies. I mean, look, today we're getting a lot of remakes, whether you like them or not. So as we've said a lot throughout this uh, podcast, you know, Scream really brought back the slasher flick in the horror uh, genre. It spawned multiple sequels. Uh, We got I Know What You Did Last Summer. We got Urban Legend. You know, we're bringing back a lot more of the Freddy, you know, versus Jason. We got, um, you know, remakes to a lot of the old slasher flicks, whether you like them or not. But Scream single-handedly 
brought back slasher horror movies. No, absolutely it did. Like you like in history where you'll be able to see exactly when it made the turn to the slasher movie coming back and it was Scream. Scream epitomized the entire genre after 96 because before that what the 90s had nothing. Nothing. No, was, I mean it was, was really nothing, nothing that about. good, yeah. And you know uh, Scream you know, a lot of people say, oh, it's it's outdated. You know, you look back, some of the stuff. But, you know, in my opinion, it's still amazing. Um, I, I, I have met quite a few people um, that actually hadn't seen it. And I live vicariously through them because, like I said, I, got, I saw the end of the movie first. So I love showing this movie to people. Oh, yeah. I remember Absolutely. about maybe seven or eight years ago, I had a Scream viewing party at my house. There was nine people over, and I believe five of them had never seen it. So How do you live with yourself. I don't know. So guys, if you have not seen this movie, I really hope you're not watching this right now. It's on Netflix. It. It's on Netflix it's right on now. Netflix. Guys, go buy it. It's amazing. Um it it really uh expanded the careers of a lot of people mm-hmm. and it really changed the industry and I am proud to say that it is my number 3 favorite movie. Uh I watch it often. I watch it all the time still. It's it's just an amazing movie. And I think that everyone, if you haven't seen it, go watch it. Well, we owe a credit to that movie to even have, like, any type of horror at all. Mm-hmm. Like, now we owe a lot to just the scream. No, absolutely. <laughs> So, guys, thank you so much for checking out the podcast. Hopefully you guys liked it. Um, If you guys like what you see, uh, please comment in the section below. Uh, Tell us your opinions on on Scream or what you want to see in the future. Uh, Please feel free to share, like, comment, subscribe, hit the little bell if you want to get notified every time we do a new video. And that's it for us. This is Tony D, Tone Deaf in Florida, and Suit and Tie movie guy, Nikki Bella. Nick Bella. <laughs> don't forget, I have the screen mask and voice changer right here. You don't think I can go get a knife? Yeah. I'll be right back. <laughs> I'll be right but, back. But you're not supposed to say, but, but, Nick, 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 c- come back, man. C- man, better not get a phone call.